0: You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Well, if you have a Bible with you, you will make your way to the gospel according to to Luke. Gospel according to Luke chapter 8. Our sermon text this morning is going to be verses 16 through 21. If you're a guest with us this morning, first of all, we are so glad you're here with us today. We have been making our way through this, this gospel. We, have st- we started in the beginning and we are just slowly working our way through and today we arrive at chapter 8 verses 16 through 21. I want to invite you To follow along as I read, church, this is God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. Hear the words of the Savior. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mothers and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. May God bless the preaching of his word. Pastor and author Chuck Swindoll shared the following fictitious examples in one of his books that, in my opinion, perfectly illustrates the point of this passage. This is what he wrote. Let's let's pretend that you work for me. In fact, you're my executive assistant in a company that is growing rapidly. I'm the owner, and I'm interested in expanding overseas. To pull this off, I plan to travel abroad and stay there until the new branch office gets established. I make all the arrangements to take my family on a move to Europe for six to eight months. I leave you in charge of the busy stateside organization. I inform you that I will write to you regularly and give you direction and instructions. I leave. You stay. Months pass. A flow of letters are mailed from Europe and received by you at the national headquarters. I spell out all my expectations. Finally... I returned soon after my arrival I drove down to the office and I am stunned grass and weeds have grown up high a few windows along the street are broken I walk into the receptionist's office and she's doing her nails chewing gum and listening to her favorite podcast I look around and notice the wastebaskets are overflowing. The carpet hasn't been vacuumed for weeks, and nobody seems concerned that the owner has returned. Ask about your whereabouts. Someone in the crowded lounge area points down the hall and yells, I think he's down there. Disturbed, I move in that direction and bump into you as you are finishing a chess game with our sales manager. I ask you to step into my office which has now been temporarily turned into a TV room. And I say to you, what in the world is going on, man? You reply, what do you mean? Well, look at this place. Didn't you get any of my letters? Letters? Oh, sure. We got every one of them. As a matter of fact, we had letter study every Friday since you left. We've divided all the personnel into small groups and have discussed many of the things you've wrote. Some of those things were actually really interesting. You'll be pleased to know that a few of us have actually committed to memory some of your sentences and paragraphs. And one or two memorized an entire letter or two. By the way, great stuff in those letters. I say, okay, you got my letters, you studied them and meditated on them, you discussed them and even memorized them, but what did you do about them? And you reply, do? Oh, we didn't do anything about what you wrote. Dr. Swindall's absurd illustration not only complements this passage, but it highlights the point Jesus was seeking to make when he shared his own absurd illustration demonstrating how silly it would be to hear the word of God, but not apply it. Listen to Jesus' silly, absurd illustration. Verse 16, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Do you see what Jesus is communicating here? Obviously, no one walks in a room, goes through the trouble to light a lamp, and then they take it and they hide it under a bed or put some kind of bowl over it so that the light can be seen. That, that makes no sense. Why would someone do that? That's, that's absurd. And the point of this passage is in the same way. To hear the word of God, but not apply it, makes no sense. It's like walking into a room, turning on a light, and then hiding it so that it can't be seen. Who here would do that? That makes no sense. And Jesus is saying, that's how absurd it is to hear, but not respond. And Jesus already made this point. When he shared with the crowd the parable of the seed and the soils, which we looked at two weeks ago. I want, I want to go back there because you notice this passage is just picking up from that passage that we were in two weeks ago. And I want to read this parable again to you because I think it lays the groundwork for this morning. So chapter 8 verses 4 through 8. We're told by Luke, when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. But some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. Now, if you recall from the message two weeks ago, what Jesus was illustrating through this parable, though it is simple, it is quite profound. Here's the entire point of that parable. The reason you sow seed is to reap a harvest of some kind. Who, who goes out and does all the hard work, all the labor of sowing seed and nothing comes of it? There, there is no wheat so that you can feed your family. Who, who would go through all that trouble and think, well, it's not a big deal. It's still worth it. The reason you sow seed is so that you can get a, a harvest. If there is no harvest, then the seed falling into the ground, even the seed growing into a plant or a tree is useless if it does not bear fruit. Now Luke informs us that after Jesus shared this parable that sometime later his, his disciples ask him, could you explain the meaning of this parable? Could you, could you tell us more what you meant? And we discover from Jesus' explanation that the seed in this parable that's being sown represents the word of God. And the soil in this parable represents the heart of the person who's heard the word. And the parable that we reflected on two weeks ago, listen, it teaches us a valuable lesson about application, which is this. We heed the word of God when we allow the word of God to address the condition of our hearts. We heed the word of God. That's what it means to say, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus is saying, heed what you've heard. Don't just listen, heed it. How do we heed it? We heed the word of God when we allow the word of God to address the condition of our hearts. And when that occurs, when we don't just listen, but we allow what's being said to address the condition of our hearts, you know what happens? We're transformed from the inside out. We're not people who are just trying to say, okay, so I've been told to do this, now I need to do it. All of a sudden, the the word, like a seed, goes down, it takes root, and it begins to produce something in us. And guess what? We begin to bear fruit. We don't just bear fruit because we say, well, okay, so God said to do it, I'm going to go do it. We allow the word to penetrate deep down and to deal with the condition of our hearts. That's what we took away from two weeks ago. But with that said, Here's what we discover. Application begins when we internalize the Word of God. But it isn't complete until there are intentional acts of obedience on our part. The starting place is we must internalize the Word of God. But application is incomplete until there are intentional acts of obedience on our part. And that's the point of today's message. If I could state it, most plainly, here it is. Ready? Obedience is the goal of application. Now, when you think about application, is that what comes to mind? Do you think of application like, well, that's that, those, those things that happen in a message, either throughout the message or at the end of the message where we're told, okay, you've heard this truth, now here's some things you can do. But listen, you know what application all boils down to to the end of the day? Application is obedience. If there is no obedience, there is no application. We can take all the notes. We can put down here the five things the preacher said we ought to do. If there's no obedience, there is no application of the word. So this morning, I want us now to go back to this passage. And I want to look at it again with that framework in mind. And here's our points for this morning. If you're taking notes, here's our outline. Obedience is application, verses 16 through 18. And obedience is discipleship, verses 19 through 21. Let's go back to verses 16 through 18 again and look at how obedience is application. And look back at verse 16 and think about what Jesus was seeking to illustrate in this verse. I want to read it again. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar. Or puts it uh, under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Think about what Jesus is communicating. Light illuminates a room so that people can enter that room and use it purposefully. That's the point. That's the reason somebody lights a lamp. They don't light a lamp so everybody can stand around and go, wow, that's a neat lamp. That gives off tons of light. Why do we light a lamp? The lamp isn't a means, an end in itself. It it has a purpose. Why do people turn on a light in the room? So that they can see. So they can go in and not stump a toe or, or break their neck, falling over things. So they can walk in and read something in that room that used to be dark. So they can go in and have a conversation in that room. That's the reason that there's light. Light illuminates things so that people can see. But that's not all that light does. That's not all the reasons you would light a lamp. Notice what else Jesus says in verse 17. Light also exposes what's hidden. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So when you light that lamp, you you light it, first of all, so that you actually can walk into the room and that room be useful. Otherwise, you couldn't walk in there and do anything because you can't see. But what else does that light do? You walk in and you're like, okay, where did I leave my keys? And you're looking, and what does the light do? Oh, there they are. We can see what otherwise we would have to get down on our hands and knees and try to look for. All of a sudden, the light not only makes it possible for us to be in there, everything that was invisible is now visible. Everything that was unseen is now exposed. Now look at verse 18. What Jesus said next makes sense of this illustration about a lamp not being hidden. So if you're wondering, okay, where's Jesus going with this? What what does he mean by using this illustration of, of a lamp that gives off light, not being hidden? Did you hear what Jesus said in verse 18? Listen again. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Take that in for just a second. Think about what Jesus just said. He said, the way in which we listen to God's word matters and has consequences. Take care how you hear. Take care how you hear it. It matters how you listen to God's word. It has consequences. According to Jesus, we must not be passive listeners, but active listeners. We must not be passive listen- listeners. That's the point of verse 18. He's saying, listen, you, you may have ears to hear, but are you hearing? Verse 8. He who has ears, let him hear. You, you almost want to say, "What well, Jesus, how else would we hear? That's what God gave his ears for. He's not saying, listen with your ears, take in. And he's saying the same thing here in verse 18. Don't just be a passive listener, be an active listener. And by being an active listener, I don't think that's just implying that we need to pay attention to the speaker and make sure we're taking notes. Those are good things to do. It's good to stay awake. It's good to take notes. It's good to pay attention. But that's not what I mean by being an active listener. Being an active listener means that you put into practice what you've heard. You put into practice what you've heard. Isn't that what obedience is? I wonder how many of us think, if we were to ask, what is obedience? Obedience is just following rules and commands. And though that's not wholeheartedly wrong or untrue, obedience, especially for those who belong to Jesus, obedience is more than just following rules or commands. Obedience is putting into practice what we have heard and what we believe. That's what obedience is. It's not just me doing what God said. Obedience is me saying, I believe this is true. Now I want to live as if that is true. That's obedience. I love what J.C. Ryle The late English preacher in his commentary said, he says, The gospel which we possess was not given only to be admired, talked of, and professed. The gospel we possess was given to us to be practiced. Can I say that again? The gospel in which we possess was not given only to be admired, talked of, and professed but to be practiced. Here's a question. Is that how you view the gospel? I love it on Sunday mornings. We sing about what God has done for us, which is what we mean by the gospel. It's about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ to reconcile sinners to himself for his glory. That's what we're singing about. We're not singing about, oh, how much we love you, how, how great our affection is, how much we've obeyed. We come in every Sunday and we, we want to celebrate the gospel. We want, to, we want to rehearse the gospel. But here's what we must not fail to do think that that's all the gospel is meant to be done, happen with the gospel. The gospel is not just something we admire or talk of or profess, it is meant to be practiced. Now, that raises the question what happens? If we fail to do that, if we become passive listeners who do not put into practice what we've heard. Well, Jesus clearly states in verses 17 and 18, what will happen. In verse 17, here's what we discover. He says, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light, In other words, the revelation of God, Jesus said, is, is like a light that illuminates. And if we're exposed to that light, but we hide it away, you know what happens? If we're exposed to the light of God's revelation and we suppress that light, not only do we live in darkness, here's what happens. Eventually, it's going to be clear to everyone that we don't practice what we preach. If we just hear, 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 the light is just shining, 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 shining. And we say, thank you. Okay, I'm going to hide that. You know what's eventually going to happen? People are going to say, wait, what do you say you believe again? Wait, what? What do you confess again? It's going to become clear to all, to us and to everyone else. Wait a minute. Your disobedience is showing. But that's not all. Look what we're told in verse 18. If we fail to live in God, light of God's revelation, eventually we will lose what we have heard and seen. Isn't that what Jesus said? If we, you've heard this expression, if we don't use it, we'll lose it. That's what Jesus just said in verse 18. Take care then how you hear from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Let let, let me illustrate in one way what what Jesus is getting at. Imagine for a number of years, you you are exposed to a foreign language. All day long, you're exposed to this language that's not your native tongue. But during that time, you refuse to learn the language and you definitely refuse to speak the language. You only hear it every day. You hear it, you hear it, you hear it. Eventually, you move away from that context. You're no longer hearing that language. You know what you're going to realize? That if you didn't use it, you lose it. If all you did was just heard people speak in that language, but you say, hey, can you teach me some words? i got to keep saying them or I'm not going to be able to remember these words. That's sort of what Jesus is saying. Yet, listen, there's a catch. Because what Jesus meant when He said that if we fail to apply what we've heard, we will lose it. And if we apply what we've heard, we'll be given more. You know what that implies? That God Himself will take away revelation from those who refuse to use it. But, he will give greater revelation to those who seek to put it into practice. If God is shining His light on us, and we're those who just keep taking the light and suppressing it, then eventually, according to Jesus, I'm going to say, "Why am I continuing to pour light out?" Now, we could spend more time focusing on the warning associated with neglecting to apply the word. But I think it's equally beneficial to focus on the blessing it com- that, that comes to those who listen well by obeying what we've heard. Don't, don't miss the blessing in verse 18. Look again, what Jesus said. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has more Will be given. According to Jesus, those who seek to live out what they believe, they will receive more from the Lord. In other words, the more light we live by, the more light we receive. Can I say that again? The more light we live by, the more light we receive. Now, though there's a warning here, there's also a wonderful promise. Church, we discover a a, a wonderful blessing, a spiritual truth that we often ignore, and it's this. Obedience in small things leads to greater revelation from God. Obedience in small things leads to greater revelation. And when we uh, seek to apply that revelation from God to our lives, you know what? We're given more revelation about ourselves, about the world, and about God. Now, if you're here this morning, and you're currently going through a dry spell in your relationship with God, and you're struggling to feel connected with the Lord, can can I make one suggestion? And I... I, I hesitate doing this because anytime you give application, there are all, always so many nuances. And if I was to sit down with you as a pastor, I would ask you a lot more questions and, and, and there would be a lot of other things I would want to add and say. But, but I do want to just say this in light of this passage. If that's you, you're just struggling. You, you believe these truths, but you feel disconnected from, your, from, from the Lord and your relationship with God. Can I suggest you pay careful attention to the topic of application? What do I mean by that? Instead of waiting for some big moment of revelation from God to awaken you spiritually, maybe the first step you need to take is the small steps of obedience in order to live out what you believe. I've learned that time and time again in my own life. Sometimes when I'm just feeling dry and I believe these things, but but I'm just not experiencing what I, what I say I believe, You know what I've often learned? That feeling is the result of me professing one thing, but not living in light of it. See, we weren't made. We're holistic beings. We weren't made to say, I profess this, but I'm going to live over here like this. That does something to our souls. Not only is it hypocrisy, it's impossible for us to do. You can do it for a time, but eventually you're going to be torn. And you're going to have to choose, okay, do I, do I really believe this? Or do I really want to live this way? And what we realize is often, small steps of obedience will, will awaken us spiritually. That, that's actually what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And that brings us then to verses 19 through 21, obedience is discipleship. Now now we come to this next section in which Luke inserts this story about Jesus' mother and brothers coming to Him. And we read, beginning in verse 19, Then His mother and His brothers came to Him, but they could not reach Him because of the crowd. And He was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But He answered them, My mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God And do it. Now, what does this incident have to do with what we just heard in the verses before? Are these two just disconnected stories? Or is Luke putting this story right after what we just heard Jesus say to illustrate the point? I think Philip Ryken in his wonderful commentary explains it well. He says, at this point... Luke introduces an incident that at first might seem to interrupt the flow of the narrative. But actually, it serves to reinforce the importance of hearing and doing what Jesus says. Luke is up to his usual literary strategy of putting things in pairs. Placing them side by side to make the same point in two different ways. That's what Luke's doing. He's done it all throughout his gospel. He's doing it again here. In the same way that Jesus illustrated by saying, it's kind of like a... Somebody lighting a lamp and hiding it. That makes no sense. Now it's Luke's turn to say, let me illustrate. He remembers this scenario from Jesus' life. Doesn't say when it happened. This is not necessarily in chronological order. He says, let me illustrate. And he gives us this example. And Ryken goes on to say, here the point is that if we do what Jesus says, we show that we are true children of God. So Luke used this incident that occurred with Jesus' mother and brothers as a way to illustrate the, the point that Jesus was making about being doers of the word. And as we're told in this particular instance, we don't know exactly when it happened. We're not given all the details Luke just inserts this story. He said, there was a time when Jesus' mother and brothers came to see Him while He was with a large crowd, but they were unable to get to Him. And in the context of that, people in the crowd informed Jesus, your family's here, they're seeking after you. And Jesus took the opportunity to distinguish between His spiritual family and His paternal family. Now we saw... Jesus do this earlier in Luke's gospel. This isn't the first time He did this. If you you recall back in chapter 2, when Jesus chose to stay in the temple apart from His parents, and He told His mother and dad why He did this, He, He chose to go to the temple apart from His parents because He had determined to make His relationship with His heavenly Father His top priority. So there's a difference between my earthly mother and father my paternal family and my spiritual family. Now listen, we must not understand what, misunderstand what Jesus is saying. By, by saying what he does in verse 21, Jesus was not implying that our families are insignificant. Actually, we know from the rest of the New Testament that caring for and providing for our family is a priority. So Jesus isn't saying families don't matter are not paternal families, just spiritual families. That's not the point he's making. What Jesus was illustrating is this point. He wanted to get across loud and clear, and you can only imagine it came across loud and clear. All of a sudden, Jesus' brother, brothers and mother show up. Somebody in the crowd said, hey, Jesus, we hate to interrupt you. Your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus says, this is a wonderful opportunity. Who are my mother and my brothers. But those who do. Who hear and do. The word of God. It's As if Jesus was saying. My family is not defined by blood. By birth. my ethnic heritage. But by a spiritual reality. That transcends all of this. My family is made up of those. Who hear the word. And do it. Now as we. As we think about what Jesus has said to the crowd that day, we're paying attention. We can begin to struggle with this statement from Jesus because it, it appears, it appears that Jesus is insinuating that we become children of God by our obedience. Jesus, are you preaching works righteousness? Let me clear up any confusion about what Jesus is saying. First of all, here, Here's just a little lesson on biblical interpretation. This statement from the lips of Jesus must be understood in light of the entire gospel of Luke. Any passage in the gospel of Luke must be interpreted in light of the whole. And here's the clear picture we get when we read the entire gospel. Jesus came to seek and save the lost by dying on a cross for our sins and rising from the dead for our justification. That's the point of Luke's gospel. That Jesus came to seek and save the lost by dying on a cross for our sins and by rising from the dead for our justification. So when we consider the words of Jesus within the larger context of this entire gospel, we realize Jesus was not saying that obedience makes us a child of God or obedience makes us a disciple of Christ. No. We come into the kingdom of God by turning to Christ and trusting in Christ. We come to the kingdom through faith and repentance. But once we do that, the evidence of our salvation is obedience to King Jesus. That's the point that's being made. Jesus isn't saying, hey, you you want to be a part of my kingdom? You better do everything I tell you to do. Because if that was what Jesus was saying, we are all in trouble. But on the other hand, Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, I died on the cross, all you have to do is say a prayer, walk an aisle, sign a card, join a church, and then just live inconsistently and you're good. He said, because see, those who really have trusted in Christ and turned from their sin... I change them from the inside out. And they are people who listen to my word and they do it. And how does everyone know that they're my disciple? Not because they just say with their mouth, I belong to Jesus. I look at their life and say, that guy belongs to Jesus. I look at that lady and says she belongs to Jesus. That's the point that's being made here. So let's be clear. Once again, no confusion. We are saved because we have responded to the message of the gospel. That's the only way anyone is saved. We hear the message of the gospel and we respond to the message of gospel. However, once we are saved by the message of the gospel, that same gospel message must inform the way we live our lives. But I wonder how often we don't view the gospel that way. If we view the gospel as the gate into the kingdom, it's what gets us in. But once we get into the kingdom, well, the gospel was that thing that got us in. Instead of the gospel is the whole realm of the kingdom. Meaning that once we receive the good news that the gospel proclaims, you know what that should happen? That same message that brought us into the kingdom it should impact our marriages. It should affect the way we parent. We don't just learn parenting by going and getting some book off a, off a shelf at Barnes and Nobles or buying it on Amazon. The gospel should affect the way we view our vocation. The way we view culture. The way we view leisure. The way we talk. As we have seen Briefly, but we're going to see in far greater detail. You know what the gospel should do? It should, it should inform the way we view money, and possessions, and eternity. So here's the question we need to ask all: we all need to ask ourselves, are there areas of my life right now that are not shaped by the gospel? And if we're really doing the hard work of heeding the word. The answer for every single one of us is yes. So, what is it for you? Where's there a disconnect for you between what you say about the gospel? God doesn't treat me as I deserve, but I'm going to treat my children as they deserve. God doesn't treat me as I deserve, but I'm going to treat my wife or my husband like they deserve. God doesn't treat me as I deserve. When I was his enemy, he showed me mercy. I'm going to treat my cultural enemy, those liberals who are raging against me. I'm going to speak ill of them. I'm going to shake my fist at them. But where would we be if God shook His fist at us? So where is there a disconnect between how we live and the message of the gospel? You know, as I was reflecting on this passage on this passage, especially how it ends where Jesus says, "My mother and my brothers are those who do who hear the word and do it." I immediately thought of James, the half-brother of Jesus. You know why I thought of him? He he wrote most likely wrote the letter of James. And listen to what he says. In chapter one, verses 22, twenty-two through twenty-five, it sounds like Jesus got what Jesus, like James, got what Jesus was saying, and not only got it that at some point James became a disciple of Jesus. Hear these words from the half brother of Jesus: "But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves." Does that not sound like his brother? For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forget what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Church, in light of these two passages—the one we've been reflecting on here this morning in Luke chapter eight—and these words from James one verses twenty-two through twenty-five—I want to strongly encourage each person here to take the call to application to heart. We must take this call to application very. Seriously, as a congregation, we must labor to ensure that the values and the virtues of the kingdom of Christ are reflected in our lives. That's what it means to be a disciple. That the values and the virtues of the kingdom of Christ are reflected in our life. That's discipleship. Discipleship isn't just saying, I belong to Jesus Discipleship is when the values and the virtues of the kingdom of Christ are visible in the way we live. And listen, one of the the ways, and we just want to give you this one point of application as, as we close, a very practical thing. One of the ways we can pay careful attention to the way we hear is not only by opening our ears but by opening our mouths. Now, what do I mean by that? Friends, we need to communicate to others in the body of Christ where we are falling short, where there are inconsistencies, so that we can receive help and encouragement. I'm going to tell you what you may already know, but we often forget, I forget it, We need community if we're going to live out what we believe. Can't be a Christian living in obedience to the Lord. Solo. You need community. So can I just appeal to you, if you're not experiencing community with the other members of this church, you're just one who comes on Sundays... I want to encourage you to take advantage of a vital, vital gift that Christ has supplied for each one of us who belong to him, and that's the gift of community. You and I need to share our struggles with with each other. We need encouragement. We need accountability. And that, that stuff is stuff that other people can give. So I want to invite you, if you're not a part of a small group, join a small group. I want to to invite you not just to see Sunday mornings is the time you go to church. You you get to know other people in the church. And as you do, be intentional that one of the things you want to do with someone in your church is have them over. And as you do, as you build a relationship, you don't put on your, oh, everything's fine face. You say, hey, you know, we're struggling in communication in marriage. I'd like to learn from you. You're an older couple. You're a godly couple. Would you, would, would you teach us as a couple how to work through conflict? We're struggling with that. That takes humility, takes intentionality. See, my prayer is that we would be a church that not only is known for the great depth that we have when it comes to our knowledge of the gospel. My prayer is that we would also be known for how wide the gospel stretches over every sphere of our life. Oh, I thank God that we are a church that that, that has gospel depth. But I want us to be a church that's known for how wide the gospel stretches into every aspect of our life. And I do believe that has been the aim of our church. I do believe that has been our aim. And I want to labor hard and so do the other pastors to ensure that we continue to make application a priority. Because here's what we take away from today, from Jesus' words today and from two weeks ago. Only when we are applying, and applying is obeying, only then will we be a healthy, growing church. Going back to where I ended two weeks ago, I was struck by this parable. When all the crowds are coming to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, we're all healthy, look how many people are here. He said, a lot of you are here, and you're like a plant, or like a seed, and many of you aren't going to make it. Now, what was he saying? Was he trying to discourage them? He was saying, hey, listen, at the end of the day, let's not get all worked up that thousands of people are showing up what matters in the end at the end of the day is you hear my word and you do it it's better to be a church of 50 people that are seeking to hear the word and do it than be a church of 5000 with great preaching and lights and sound and all of these things and everybody's just hearing a message taking notes and living the same as them when they walked in so let's redefine how we see church growth May God bring us many more people, but let that not be the illusion. Oh, there's lots of people. The goal is for each one of us to say, listen, at the end of the day, here's what matters. I'm a healthy Christian. I'm a healthy disciple. And we're a healthy church when we hear what Jesus says. And we humbly, not perfectly, try to do it. That's the point that Jesus was communicating then, and he's telling us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. May you write these truths on our heart. Help us now to do what we cannot do on our own to apply your word in our lives. So, Lord, we ask for your help. We desire to be obedient. But obedience doesn't come easy and it doesn't come natural. So help us. And if there's any here this morning that have never turned from their sin and trusted in you, I pray this morning the overarching message that they would hear is not do more. They would hear that the one act of obedience you're calling them to is a surrender to you to trust in you, and to be saved. May you make that happen today. We pray all this in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.